How many of you have ever felt like you were an outsider? Maybe it was when you were in public school and there was the upperclassmen that were the in crowd and you would look at them perhaps and you would say, if only I could be on the inside. It doesn't just have to happen at school. It could happen in the workplace. It could even happen in a family. And this particular group of people inside the family is the, are the ones that run everything. And you know those are the insiders. Those are the ones that really have it going on, so to speak. And you are an outsider. It is not a pleasant feeling. It could be you've experienced it the other way around where you're on the inside, you're in charge, you, 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 have, you, you have achieved whatever achievement you are aiming at and you're looking down at the others that are on the outside and you're saying, I don't want them in my group. It could happen in a family where you have the older siblings get to stay up an extra half hour and that is the thing to do is stay up an extra half hour without getting in trouble for it and all the younger siblings are like, if only, if only I could be on the inside and stay up an extra 30 minutes life would be so much better. In a large family, that becomes a lot more of an issue than it might be in smaller families, but it nonetheless does happen. Or if only, I used to think, if only I was old enough to take the train by myself, life would be so much better. I would be almost an adult if I was allowed to go to the library on the train by myself. And I was thought, you know, I would be on the inside if I could, you know, I would be like an insider type of important person if I could take the train. And that was just, you know, the big thing to do. I'm, that's not so much the big thing to do anymore, but for me at that age, I think 12 or 13, 14, whenever it was I was allowed to, that was a big deal. Well, if you, have, if you have spent any time in the world at all, you've probably come to a point where you've experienced both of those feelings. It's a common human experience that there's a group of people who consider themselves or perhaps even are to be on the inside, and there's others that they look upon as outsiders, sometimes justly, sometimes not so justly. And that's just a part of human experience. And that's what's going on, really, in the passage that I'm preaching from tonight. If you open your Bibles to the book of Luke in chapter 15, the book of Luke in chapter 15, verse 1. Luke 15, verse 1. It says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners, and eateth with them. And so here you had these Pharisees, and you had the scribes, and you had the people. They would have considered themselves, we. We are the leaders of the people. If there is an inside crowd in the land of Israel, it is these Pharisees. And as we, it was, we, we, um, th we look at it, it's kind of hard almost for us in our Western pluralistic type of society to really get the way that it was in the land of Israel in the time of Christ. Because they, these publicans and the sinners, they had money, many of them, a lot of money perhaps, but they were social outcasts in a way that really just doesn't hardly even exist in America today. They were on the outside because, the, because in, 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 the, in the land of Israel, at that time, social status was everything. And it didn't really matter so much if you were a poor, if you didn't have a lot of money, if you didn't have, you know, a good job. If you were respected by your neighbors, if you had social status, you were on the inside on the social scale, you were still somebody. And the Pharisees may not have all been the wealthiest, though some of them were, but many of them would have been still poor, yet they had the respect 
of the common people in a way that these publicans and sinners did not. The publicans and sinners were despised. They were looked down on. They were looked as outsiders. Whatever is going on in the land of Israel, whatever God is going to do, whatever, whatever kingdom God is going to bring, these guys over here, they are the outsiders. They are not going to be included. They were, they, were, they were not allowed into the synagogue. No, they were not invited to the, the Pharisees' dinners. They were not included. They were excluded from everything that a normal society would consist of. They were despised and detested. And here was Jesus who wanted to be their king, he said. Here was Jesus who said he was announcing the kingdom of God. And he's over here. He's eating with publicans and sinners. He's eating with those despicable people over there. He's not just going over and talking to them and trying to pull them over to where the Pharisees were. But he's going over to there and he's sitting down, sitting down and eating with them. It's not like he's participating in what they're doing, but he's treating them like they were actually human beings. Think of something. Think of Jesus wanting to be the Messiah and eating with these people like they were normal human beings. What in the world was he thinking about? And that was really what the Pharisees' mindset were, was. They were absolutely incensed that he, Jesus would claim to be their Messiah, that Jesus would claim to say, I'm announcing the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand, and I am the king in the kingdom of God. And he's eating with the publicans. And Jesus saw their attitude, and it was a very serious problem. And so he gave them a parable, three parables, in fact, to justify the inclusion of sinners in his kingdom, to show to the Pharisees and to show to the scribes and the other religious leaders that God didn't owe them some sort of special place in his kingdom, that God didn't come to hobnob with the religious elite, but to go to the sinners and to save them and to love them and to treat them as sons. That's what God came to do. That was the message of Jesus. And this parable, we're going to focus, there's three parables that were given. It's the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. It's traditionally known as the prodigal son, the parable of the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15. It starts in verse 11 and it goes to verse 32. That's somewhat of a misnomer because it doesn't only deal with the prodigal son. The father does more activity than either of the two sons, really. And the second son is also very important. But regardless of what we want to call it, it's, that's what it's traditionally known as, is a very important story that had a very specific message for the Pharisees in Jesus' day, a message that still rings true to us in our day, a message that will ring true should the Lord not return a thousand years from now. And it's a message that I want to discuss tonight because I believe it's a message that God wants us to discuss. It starts out in verse 11. And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. Now, it's another thing, it's a little difficult for us to understand exactly the significance that would have had for someone hearing that. Because today, you know, the inheritance, people create inheritances and give away their inheritance before they die all the time. It's very frequent, and it really wouldn't even be all that disrespectful. It'd still be a little disrespectful, but if you could just imagine, it's almost like the younger son was saying, Dad, will you just hurry up and die so I can get your stuff? That's, that's the attitude he has there. And that's the way that Jesus' original hearers, the ones that were listening to him, that's the way they would have understood it. Here's this younger son. 
and age and rank, like I already said, that's very, very important. So here's this younger son who comes to his father and he doesn't even address him respectfully. Now, right there in Jewish society, if he came with that kind of attitude to his dad, he could have had the son beaten for that, beaten in public. And that would have been a normal response. Not the only possible response, but it could have been a normal response just for the attitude the son gave him to have him beaten in public in the city square for the behavior, the way he was treating his dad. Because he said, you know, dad, just hurry up and die so I can have your stuff. And so what the father, it's amazing, and the Bible doesn't give any more details than is here, so there's no need talking, trying to figure out what the details mean, but it, it, it's I mean, trying to figure out more than what the details, trying to figure out more details than what the story already gives us. And the father divided unto him his living. Now, typically, there's no way to know for sure if the father did divide the inheritance before, before he died, then he would retain the right to the use of his property in the meantime. It's quite likely that would have been the case in this story because at the end of the story, even though the father says to the older son, all that I have is yours, he's still the one running the estate. He still has the use of everything. And so for the younger son to take what the father gave him and to sell it so the father couldn't use it was really stealing from his father. He didn't only disrespect his father, he stole what was rightfully the father's and he took it and he ran away from, his, from, from, from the father. He, di he totally disrespected his dad. He said, I don't care about you, I only care about your stuff and then I'm going to steal your stuff from you too. And that was, well, again, we can't be 100% sure. That's very, very likely that would have been the case. And that would have been what would have been understood by Jesus' hearers when he, wrote, when he told them this story. And he didn't care if it was legal or illegal. He just wanted money. And he, he got his money and he went away. He took a shot he got money, went away to a far country and began to do his own thing. It says in verse 13, And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. He got his money, gotten shoddily, ill-gotten gain. He took what he got and he ran off into a far country where his dad had no influence, where he wouldn't get in trouble for anything he did, and he did his own thing. He partied and partied and partied and did whatever he wanted to do. It's really interesting living in New York City, what's well, really sad living in New York City, that there have been many times we've had people who come from good homes all over the country who ran away to New York City so they could get away from their parents' rules. Many, many times we've met people like that and we've met them just in, of course, my parents and I've heard about it from them or they've been to the church and we've met them after they've spent all. Unfortunately, we've also met some who were on their way to spending all and they weren't convinced where they were going to end up. They thought they were still going to make it. It's very sad. But he went to the far country and he spent everything. And even after he'd spent everything, he spent everything and he, then he had nothing. And not only did he have nothing, at that point a famine hit. And so not only did, was he suffering the consequences of his own wastefulness... But then God said some consequences as well. And there was this famine that was going on and he couldn't even get a decent job and he could do nothing to take care of himself. All of his money had been wasted. And now the best job he could find was a job feeding pigs. Now again, 
it's somewhat difficult for us to comprehend exactly what that would have meant to his... Just think of this. Think of feeding a herd of sewer rats. That would have been about the response that the Pharisees would have had to hear about a Jewish boy tending to swine. I mean, how many of you want to be a sewer rat tender? Like wild sewer rats. We're not talking about the lab rats that they take good care of so they can pump them full of all sorts of tests. We're talking about sewer rats running out of the sewers into the subway, the gross, disgusting, dirty kind. And you want to tend to those, take care of them, running all over your feet and everything? Anybody signing up for that job? That's where this guy ended up. I mean, that would have been the way he would have felt about the job that he had. Jewish boy, they, the Jewish had a proverb, cursed is anyone that takes care of a swine. That was, their, that, was their, that was their belief. If you take care of pigs, you are cursed forever. That's it. You're, you're done for. And so here's this Jewish boy who's run away from home. He's gone off into the far country, and now he's tending pigs. Well, remember how he kind of cheated his dad, how he disrespected his dad and not done right by his dad? Well, now he's working hard feeding the pigs, and he's not even given enough food. He's given so little pay that the pig's food is looking good to him, and he's not even allowed to get himself some. It's not, it's not completely clear what it means when it's, it's, well, it says in, um, in verse, verse 14, And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. It's not completely clear whether he couldn't eat the pig's food because he wasn't allowed to or because it wasn't physiologically possible for him to. But in any respect, he was so desperate, he was willing to eat the pig's leftovers if he only could have gotten away with it. That is pretty low down. How many of you would like to eat after a rat? Anybody signing up for that? That, that you cannot get much lower in a, you cannot get any lower than that. He is at the bottom. He, is, he thought, I am leaving my father's home and all these rules are holding me down. And I'm all bound up in my dad's rules. I'm going to get my money and I'm going to go out to the far country. And I'm going to make a life for myself and I'm going to go up. And there he is, lower than he could have even imagined while he was still safe at home in his father's house. And verse 17 and when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants." And so he came to the point where he realized, you know, I am over here in the far country and I'm feeding pigs and I'm even getting cheated out of a decent wage for feeding pigs and I have nothing to eat and I'm on the process of slow, slowly starving to death. I, things cannot get any worse. I am going to get up and I'm going to go back to my father's house and I'm going to say, Father... My ideas were all wrong. I've sinned against you. I've wronged you. I've hurt you. But will you at least let me work in the fields for you? See, what he was asking for, he wasn't even asking to be his father's slave. 
the least important workers in the Jewish farm society were the, were these, were, were, were the hired servants. The slaves were there year-round, and they were taken care of because they would have been permanently with the family. The hired servants, they were just there for a few days working for a low wage to take care of the crops when they were needed. They floated around. They were the lowest rung on the social hierarchy. They had nothing. They didn't even have the promise that they had a master to take care of them. And here comes the son saying, the people at the very bottom, the people I would have in my pride not even talked to when I was at my father's house, they're eating better than me. I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to beg him to let me just work in the field so I can fill my belly, so I can do something to not starve to death. But he didn't just stay there in a pool of self-pity. Because if, if verse 19 was the last bit of what the son had to say, then he would have just had the sorrow of this world. But he didn't just have the sorrow of this world. He didn't just sit over here and say, why did all this terrible stuff happen to me? But he got up and he headed back to the father's house. Probably quite slowly and wearily. The wages of sin are hard. And the boy, it's quite evident as we get further in the story, had no clothes to cover his back. He'd had no food. He was weary. He was sick. He was hurting. But he was headed back to the father's house. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. This is probably the one point of this parable that's the easiest to miss, especially for us coming from a Western society. And I know I've said that quite a bit. But there's a lot in, in Jesus' parables, especially, that if you don't understand the culture, you don't understand the society to which it was addressed, you may still get the main point of the parable, but a lot of the details you're going to miss. And this is one of those, because in the Middle Eastern society, it is extremely undignified to the point of being ridiculous for an old man to run, or even walk quickly. As an illustration of this, this is actually a true story. There were some Western missionaries that went over to work. I believe it was in the land of Israel. It may have been Lebanon, but it was in that same rural society that had not changed very much. This was quite a few years ago and had not changed very much since the time of Christ. They were trying to get a pastor elected to one of the churches. It was a Baptist missionary, if I'm not mistaken. And they said, how about you vote this man and his pastor? And the church took a vote. And the church voted him down. And they said, why wouldn't you want this man to be your pastor? I mean, he studied, he's spiritual, he's a leader, he knows the Bible. And they said, he walks too fast, he's not respectable. If you can think of what it would look like in our society, I mean, what if Mayor Bloomberg got on a little tricycle on Fifth Avenue and decided on his little plastic tricycle to go for a bike ride? I mean, it would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? I mean, if the mayor or the head of the city council was to ride on a little tricycle down the street and he didn't give any explanation, he was just doing that, I mean, that would be ridiculous. It would be beneath the dignity of their office. Of course, the whole concept of dignity is pretty much lacking in America today anyways. It was extremely important to them, dignity, as, I, as we said at the beginning, dignity, status was everything. 
And here's this dad who is running. He's not just walking quickly. He is running with as fast as his old legs can carry him. Why was he running? Well, because when the young when his young son had so disrespected his dad, had spit on his dad, and had gone off to the far country, he had made himself into a social, the word would be pariah, a social outcast. And when he tried to come back to the village, there was a very good chance those villagers, especially the little kids, would have thrown stones at him. He could have been hurt severely, perhaps not killed but hurt or wounded, and the father loved his son enough, he was going to make himself look ridiculous to protect his son from the just deserts of his deeds. And so here you have the father is running, and he's running, and he grabs a hold of his son, and he gives him a great big hug, and he gives him a kiss, and then he says, and then the son starts his confession. It says in verse, in verse 21, and the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. If he was going to continue and say, make me a hired servant, it would have been an insult to his father. Because his father had ran and had given him a great big hug and had given him a kiss of peace. And his father had wept on his neck. And he knew that he was going to be accepted. But just because he knew he was going to be accepted from God didn't remove his responsibility to confess his misdeeds and running away from his father. He was, you know what? He was going to the father and he was saying, he was accepted. Now, father, you treat me how you want to. He made no conditions. I sinned against heaven. I'm no more worthy to be called your son, period. Whatever you want to do with me is fine. You are now in charge again. Listen to what the father does. But the father said unto his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. And they began to be merry. The father gave unto the son to cover the rags of his own degradation. He gave him the best robe. The best robe would almost certainly have been the father's own best robe. He gave him his own clothing to cover him. He gave him a ring. Slaves, servants, hired hands. They didn't wear rings. They didn't wear shoes. They didn't wear fine clothing. But sons did. And here is this son, and he is dressed in the garments of the father, and his rags aren't showing. The best robe would have been a great long robe, and it was covering his feet. You couldn't see what the son had looked like before, because he was covered in the grace and the mercy of his father. And the father went and filled, killed the fatted calf, and that fatted calf would have been enough food to feed the whole village. And here, everyone, the Father said, everything is going to stop. And we are going to celebrate the return of my son. You see, they wouldn't even eat meat on a regular basis. Their typical diet, meat, the killing of an animal for the eating of meat would have been reserved for only a special occasion. And he didn't just kill meat. He killed the fatted calf for his son. He went all out. This animal was an animal that would have been prepared 
every day, all year round, for the most special occasion. And here is the son, the wicked son, the son that had spit on his father, the son that had stolen from his father, and that son is having the fatted calf killed for him. And that son is on the inside, in the father's house. At this point, Jesus' hearers might have expected the story to be over. You see, actually, there was a Jewish story that was common around the time of Christ, and it was how a son had stolen the father's inheritance, and how he came to a terrible end in the far country. End of the story. And so they probably knew Jesus well enough to know, you know, terrible end in the far country, he's eating with publicans and sinners. Okay, that's not going to be the ending of his story. So now Jesus has told a story about how a wicked sinner is accepted in the father's house. Wonderful story. But Jesus wasn't done with his story yet. It wasn't just a wonderful story about how a wicked sinner repented and was accepted in the father's house because the father had two sons. The oldest son came in from the field. He was so disconnected from his father that he needed a servant. Listen to this. And his eldest son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father has killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And here is the servant, and the servant is picking up on the father's excitement that the son that was lost has come back home, and the, the father has killed the fatted calf for him. And they're having a party, and they're not having like this wicked dancing with guys and girls doing all kinds of wicked things. But this would have been, they were jumping up and down, and they were excited, and they were clapping their hands, and they were praising God, and they were thanking God that the son that had been lost had now returned. Here comes the older son. He was working in the field. He was not connected to his father. He asked a servant, what's going on? He said, your brothers come back. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. You see, it wasn't only the younger son on his way back from a far country who needed the father to go to him first. It was also the older son who thought he was really something already. Who had never been out in the far country. He'd never left home. He'd never dishonored his dad, he thought. But listen to what happens. And his father comes out. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which had devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. So he had all these years hated his brother for the way his brother had disrespected his dad. And here's he disrespecting his dad even more than the younger brother had done. The younger brother had at least had enough sense to address his dad as father. The older brother didn't even, didn't even address him as father. He said, whoa, he, he was so disrespectful to his dad that he could have been beaten in the public square for the way he was treating his dad. And he said, I've been working all these years and he's been out partying with your stuff and now you're going to take care of him? You never did anything for me. You see, here was the basic problem with the older son's attitude. Even though, while well, he, he had this idea 
an idea that was shared by the Pharisees, an idea that is shared even today, even in independent Baptist churches, that going out and sinning is fun, and so we need to punish you for sinning, and staying and working and doing what God says is so hard, and I've got to be rewarded extra special for all the good things that I've done. I stayed and I've slaved, and I've done all this stuff, and he's been out here having fun, and now he's going to come back, and he's going to get rewarded for that. He didn't have compa- he didn't have any more of a connection to his father and the heart of his father than the boy who was out there doing all that wicked stuff. He didn't have any compassion. There's that brother of mine who is separated from the love of our father. And now he's come back. He, and, and what about all the time he's wasted when he could have enjoyed the blessings of being in the father's house? That wasn't his attitude. His attitude was, he got to have all that fun and get away with it. That's not fair. That was his attitude. Because even though he was... By the Father's house, he wasn't in the Father's house. He was completely confident he was an insider because of all the work that he had done, because of all the toil that he had performed. And yet at the end of the story, this is what his father says to him. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Even though the older son disrespected his father, didn't address him as father, didn't give him the respect that he was due, the father still addressed him as son. And he said, son, all that I have is thine. The older son was not having his inheritance taken away from him because... The younger son had returned. The younger son had taken the talents, had taken the possessions that his father had given him and had wasted them. He wasn't going to get those back. He, was, he didn't have another inheritance of possessions. And at this point, it's important to remember that this is a parable and not an allegory. In other words, you can find yourself in the story. And the story has a point that applies to spiritual matters. But you can't just say, okay, this is God, the father is God, and the younger son is the publicans, and the older son is the Pharisees. The older son is like the Pharisees, and the Pharisees could see themselves, if they would only choose to do so, in the older son. But that's not the same thing as saying that the older son is exactly the same as the Pharisees. And so this whole thing about the inheritance, we've got to figure out the theological significance of it. If if Jesus didn't draw attention to it in the parable, then we don't need to get information out of it for our lives. And so the father says, listen, you've not lost anything because your younger brother has come home. But the end of the story and the point is when Jesus finished his parable, the wicked son who had left home was back on the inside, not because of anything that he had done, but because of the love of the Father. And here was that older son who had started out with everything going for him, who was now on the outside looking in, not because of what the Father had done to him, 
but because he had refused to be on the inside if his younger brother was included. The father reminded his older son he hadn't been mistreated, he had shortchanged himself. The older son thought it was a burden to serve the father. He had no more true respect for his father than his younger brother did. And it was his own pride that left the older son as an outsider at the end of the story. The message Jesus was trying to convey to his original audience should be very clear by this point. You see, Jesus had spoken many times of his kingdom as being a feast to which various guests were invited. When they heard this about how that they were having a celebration, they would have immediately thought back to the many times that Jesus had referred to his kingdom as that kind of celebration. And even other people, there was a lady once that said, blessed are they that eat meat in the kingdom of God, that that was the way they would refer to it. That was a reference to the kingdom of God, to the way that things were going to be in a spiritual sense. And they would have understood that right away. And he had invited the publicans and the sinners to be guests in his kingdom. And he was now inviting the Pharisees, but they were turning him down. What an astonishing reversal. The Pharisees were confident in their position as insiders, excluded Jesus because he insisted on including the publicans and the sinners. They didn't want anything to do with a kingdom that included scum like them. Jesus told the Pharisees that everyone was allowed in the Father's house, but that no one could enter on their own terms. Let me say that one more time. Jesus told the Pharisees and everyone else who was there, and he's telling us today that everyone is allowed in the Father's house, but no one is allowed to enter on their own terms. No one is allowed to decide who else gets to be there. If you are going to be in the Father's house, enjoying the Father's grace, you are going to have to admit the Father's authority. Yet it's not only the Pharisees who needed to enter in to the Father's house. No, this story is not just about them. It is also about us. Because we are all born outsiders, separated from the Father. No one is born an insider in God's kingdom. Anyone who will come to him will be accepted, but everyone must first come to him to be included. The repentant are the only insiders in God's kingdom. Where are you then tonight? Where are you in this story? It may be tonight that even though you're in a church service, even though you may come to church every service, your heart is just like the younger son. You could be like the younger son right before he left home, just waiting and thinking, these rules are so restrictive. I can't wait till I can grow up and I can get out on my own and I can do my own thing and I can have my own fun and I don't want to have anybody telling me what to do. And that could be your attitude. Even tonight you could say, oh, I just wish I was out there. And as soon as I'm old enough to gather my stuff together, I am out of here. It could be you come to church and yet you live like the younger son and you only come to church to keep up appearances. Or it may be that you're like the older son 
and you come to church every service or every week and you give of your money to the offering and you go, maybe even go on visitation and you read your Bible and you do everything that a Christian is supposed to do and you avoid the worldly things and you work hard at being a Christian and you think, oh, God is going to accept me because of all the stuff that I've done. Surely God must love me because of the things that I've done. No, God doesn't love us because of what we've done. God doesn't accept us because of what we've done. God accepts us because we come to him and say, Father, I'll do it on your terms. When we leave our own ways and we accept the Father's ways, that's when we enter into the Father's house. If you and, and it could be if, if you are still thinking that your own way is going to turn out okay, or if you're still hoping, if you're still thinking that your own works are going to get you some reward, you may think you're an insider right now, but you are going to end up at the end of the story, you will be left on the outside. And it's not too late tonight. It is never too late. As long as there is life, there is hope to return to the Father's house. But you have no idea how long you will live. You could die tonight. You could die before the service is over. You could die before the end of the invitation. And while as long as there is life, there is hope, you have no idea how long you will have that life that is necessary to repent. But the story isn't just about those who are outside of the Father's house. The story also asks the question, do you have the Father's attitude? Do you have the Father's values? You see, the Father wanted his sons. He wanted both of his sons. The Father wanted the son out here doing his own thing. The Father wanted the proud son over here who thought he was doing everything right. The Father loved both of them and he wanted both of them in the house. Do you want sinners in the house? Do you care? You see, the father had the heart that he was longing for his son to return. The father had the heart that he went out after his proud son and begged him to come back. The father wasn't concerned with his own dignity. The father wasn't concerned with his stolen property. The father wasn't concerned with his offending son over here that was proud. What the father cared about was his sons being in his house. And what God cares about tonight is sinners being in his kingdom. And you could even yourself be truly saved. And yet your heart could be far away from the heart of the father. And you could be, you could be truly saved and you could be in the Father's house and you could be so confused and so mixed up as to think that somehow what you had in the world or what you see someone else has in the world is somehow better than what you have now. Can I say to you tonight, that is absolutely ridiculous. Why should someone in the Father's house, why should someone who has direct access to the God of all the universe, which is the greatest privilege that any human being could have, why should someone with that look to someone over here and say, but they have a better God than me. But they, they, they're in a relationship and I'm not. But 
they, they got the raise because they cheated and I was stuck over here following my father's will and I didn't get the raise. If you look at it from the perspective of this story, that is ridiculous. And yet I have to tell you that there are those who I have to believe based on their testimony that they are true believers and yet they look over here at the world and they envy it. Because they don't see the result. They don't think of the, they don't think of feeding rats. They think of the brief time of partying. And they say, I just wish I could have that again. And you could, even after having laid aside your self-righteousness and entered into the Father's house, you could be looking back on your self-righteousness and you could put a little bit of it back on again and start looking down at other believers and saying, I'm more righteous than them. I'm more on the inside than so-and-so. I'm more on the inside than so-and-so. You don't have anything apart from the grace of God. And you don't deserve anything for anything that you've done. Everything that you have is because of the grace of an almighty, all-loving, all-gracious, all-forgiving God. And if it wasn't for Him, you'd be worse than the guy feeding the rats or the pigs. So the challenge to you tonight, do... Are you in the Father's house? Are you really in the Father's house? Not, do you profess to be in the Father's house? Not, are you in the Father's fields? But are you in the Father's house, really and truly, heart and soul? Have you laid down your own conditions? Have you laid down your own positions and beliefs and accepted those of the Father? And if you have, how close are you to the heart of the Father? Do you have the heart of God, do you have the heart of that father in the story who was willing to accept his sons, who loved souls more than he loved his stuff, who loved souls more than he loved his dignity or his pride? The heart of the God who sent Jesus Christ to die for you? Is that your heart tonight? And if it's not, and if you're not in the Father's house, there is an altar here tonight and we can come before God and we can do business here and we can speak to the Father <coughs> and get closer to His heart. Father, Lord, I come before You tonight, Father. I just pray, Father, Lord, that You would drive home, Father, the words of the message, Lord. There's only so much I can say, Father. There's only so much I can do and it would never be enough, Father, to convince anyone of the truth of Your Word but Father, your Holy Spirit can convince people and your Holy Spirit can change lives and your Holy Spirit will use your word to do so. And I believe I've preached your word honestly. And I pray, Father, for the Spirit to apply it powerfully. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.